1 to 12, and it's on page 966 in the Pew Bibles. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Thanks ever so much, Mel. Well, it's all over now, isn't it? Christmas packed away for another year. I came in this morning, no tree. No tree at home anymore. Have you put your tree away? How many of you haven't put your tree away yet? Failure. Next door to us, put theirs up at the end of October. I'm wondering when it will go down. Wow. It's all a bit of an anticlimax now. We've emptied the fridge. Oh, found the last little devil on horseback or whatever you call it. The last little bit of cheese, it's all gone. Tomorrow the diet starts. Tomorrow we start figuring out which bins will they collect this week. <laughs> Have you had that in your street? Hey, all of ours went yesterday, all of them. Is it back to recycling only this week? Well, we shall wait and see. People, oh, it's been incredible. But it is all a bit of an anticlimax now, isn't it? It's all kind of back to the routine. The alarm will go off, quarter past six tomorrow morning. Get out of bed, Sarah. Those will be the words that I will utter. <laughs> and that'll be it. <laughs> and that'll be it. But there we go. Today, though, is Epiphany. And I've been building up a little bit to Epiphany over these last few weeks because I think Epiphany's a great day a great Christian feast, that somehow we negate a little bit being Baptists and stuff. If you're in the Catholic Church or the Anglican Church, you're probably well used to this sort of thing. But for Baptists, well, we don't really go in for stuff like this. But it's a brilliant feast day. It's one of the oldest feast days. And we've dipped in and out of the whole thing about Epiphany over the last few weeks because the Christmassy thing really intrigues me when it comes to these wise men, these magi who come from the East. I am really quite taken up with these mystical characters 
who suddenly appear and come to worship the baby Jesus. We've seen over the last few weeks, as we've dipped into the story a little bit, that there isn't very much that we know about them from the Bible. Most of the imagery that we all have about the wise men is really from church tradition. That's the truth. And uh, there are all sorts of stories, and you might be able to tell me the names of the wise men. That's not in the Bible. You might be able to tell me that uh, they came to the manger. Well, they didn't go to the manger. Um, you might be able to tell me that they went to see the baby Jesus. They didn't see the baby Jesus. They saw the child. Very different words are used. Some of you are thinking, he's a heretic! Others of you are thinking, oh my gosh, really? Well, this is epiphany. This is the day that we are celebrating. The visit of the wise men. The Magi. Guys who come, probably wealthy, maybe even from royal stock. They come, way more than three of them. We can imagine that there was a travelling caravan. Uh, they had uh, guards with them to protect them. And they come to this cow town in some lowly third world country to worship one who has been born King of the Jews. And they bring gifts, don't they? Remember that? And uh, one of the gifts that always intrigues me is this gift of gold. I, I wonder in what form it came. Was it gold nuggets like this? Or was it a, a nice gold bar? Uh, was it uh, some sort of box? I, I don't know is the honest answer. We're not told. But gold is a very, very precious metal. And no doubt came in handy, we surmise, uh, to the family of Jesus, because we know that they were refugees, they had to escape to Egypt, because evil King Herod, who we met in the uh, reading that uh, Mel brought us a moment ago, uh, he was out to kill all the newborn kids. He didn't want somebody threatening his role. If there was a new king in town, the best thing to do was to get rid of him. And so he went after all children under the age of two. Mary, Joseph, and Jesus had to flee. They were quite probably poor. So having things like gold with which they could barter or buy things, we know that gold is commonly traded. You can still, in some countries, do buying with gold. It's just one of those things. But there's a lot more to gold than meets the eye. Gold's a, a precious, precious metal, but... It's also a symbol in the Bible for divinity. And uh, we know that pagan religions often made their idols out of gold. You remember when Moses came down from the mountain with the t uh, Ten Commandments? You remember that? You may have seen it in one of the films if you've not read the account. And uh, he gets down to the bottom. Do you remember what the people had done? What are they, what are they made? Yeah, they'd made a golden calf, a golden idol. And uh, that was something that they picked up on uh, from other uh, people groups. As they had uh, travelled, as they bumped into other people, they knew that this is what you did. If you wanted to worship God, you made a graven image and you put the finest metal that you could imagine uh, on it because it's represented divinity. Uh, you may remember 
that uh, gold also played a very positive part in people's understanding of how precious God was to them. You remember how God gave instructions for the building of the Ark of the Covenant, which would actually hold the tablets of stone on which the Ten Commandments were written. And there was the rod of Aaron that miraculously budded, and God made it very clear that the Ark of the Covenant had to be overladen with gold, and there were four rings of gold on each corner. And then, of course, there was the mercy seat. Here's a picture of it all for you. And the mercy seat was there as well. That was uh, to stand over the Ark of the Covenant, about 45 inches long, 27 inches wide. Read about it in Exodus chapter 20. It's all made of pure gold. So God has a thing for gold. He loves gold. And the Bible uh, paints this picture that when gold is on the scene, something serious is happening. And certainly when you bring gold to somebody, it is honoring them. It is a sign of their importance and divinity. So one of the wise men comes, and he comes to Jesus' mother, and he's making a big, bold statement that day, isn't he, about this baby, as he presents gold to Jesus. And what was he saying? Did he understand what he was saying? I think he did, just by the few words we have recorded for us between uh, him and uh, Herod. I think we know that for that king, he saw Jesus as king for that time. That's very, very important. Once the wise men made their way to Jerusalem, as we saw the other week, the capital of Israel, their arrival turned that town upside down. Their arrival did not go by unnoticed. When they rode into town, everybody was aware they had arrived, and everybody knew what was going on. Indeed, in the text it says that Herod was disturbed and all the people with him because everybody was well aware these guys have come to town and they're looking for a newborn king. You bet Herod was disturbed. And the people. Because as we said the other week, once Herod got wind of this, there was going to be trouble. Well, King Herod hears about the search of the king. He's scared out of his wits. He consults with the religious experts. They tell him where the king's to be born. And Herod sends the wise men on their way, but his plan, as we know, is to follow behind them and permanently remove this threat to his throne. But it's fascinating, isn't it? How many people today pray to Herod? Just think about this. How many churches are named after Herod? We have some weird-named churches. Let's just get real from it. There is a church in Pyle, near Bridge End, called Pisca. Pisca Pyle. Now, I don't know whether that just does things in my head. Maybe not with yours. Maybe it's a bit rude. I'm sorry. But there are some weird-named churches. But I've never come across a church, Herod Baptist Church. No? Nobody here. Trevor, in all your history, you've never stumbled across one. It doesn't exist. How many people are willing to die today for King Herod? Do we know anybody who's in prison anywhere in the world today because of their allegiance to Herod? I haven't 
come across. There's no article in this weekend's Times newspaper. Those Guardian readers amongst us, anything in there? Mail on Sunday? Sunday Express? No. It's interesting. But the reign of King Jesus has never ended. It began there in Bethlehem, was acknowledged by those who then came and met with the child Jesus. They journeyed all the way from the east and they come and they lay gold at his feet. Why? Because they say Jesus is king. Herod's reign died with him. And yet this Jesus, we say, is still king. But he was certainly king then. Acknowledged by those who came to worship him, to find him. And it's interesting, as you trace Jesus' life through the Gospels, you'll see that his whole life demonstrates that he was a king. He was king in the way he taught. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but many times in the Gospels, crowds are literally gobsmacked at his teaching. In the Gospel of John, the chief priests and the Pharisees are really pumped up about Jesus. They're ready to get rid of him. Temple guards are sent out to arrest him, but they report back to the Jewish leaders empty-handed. And when they're asked why, they answer, never has anybody spoken like this guy. And it was like that again and again throughout Jesus' ministry. People were genuinely shocked when he opened his mouth. They were challenged. They were infuriated by some of the things he said. At times, they were deeply moved. At other times, really helped and comforted by what he said. There was an air about him. He was different because he was a king. And he was a king in how he taught. But he was also a king in how he lived. Now, don't misunderstand me here. While Jesus lived on earth, it's fascinating. A king, though he was, he never had the trappings of royalty, did he? He never wore kingly robes. He, he never had a court of servants to attend to his every whim. And the only crown he wore, of course, was a crown of thorns. But he lived and he died as a king. He moved through life with the attitude and the standing of a king. As his followers got to know him more and more, they realized that this Jesus was more than just a man. The king. The king of the universe was right there, living with them, eating with them, laughing and joking with them, doing life with them. He was king for that time. But now, but now, my friends, we need to understand this. Jesus is the king for our time too. Jesus wasn't just the king for the time of his birth and life on earth. He wasn't just king for the people of Israel. He's the king for all people, everywhere, today, in 2019. I can't speak for you, but I think our world could use a king like Jesus today. Remember that lovely little verse? It's not a lovely little verse. It's a poignant verse in the book of Judges, chapter 17. It says, 
In those days, there was no king in Israel. All the people did what was right in their own eyes. Doesn't that aptly describe the world in which we live today? The stuff that's happening. A guy gets on a train with his 14-year-old son and is knifed to death in front of him. What world are we living in? Some of the things that we see unfolding on our television screens, things in places like Yemen. In 2019, there are people starving to death. When you and I are throwing food away and worrying about whether the recycling will be taken. I think it's time for a king to come and rule and reign. Here in the UK and around the world, I think we're crying out for a king. You know, sometimes the only thing that gets me out of bed on a Monday morning is the picture in that book of Revelation of King Jesus on his throne, ruling over all creation. Oh, please, Lord. Please. I came across a lovely story over Christmas. True story about two Christian missionaries who in 1994... Uh, had an invitation from the Russian Department of Education. Very unusual. Uh, they were invited to go and teach morals and ethics in a large orphanage. There were about 100 boys and girls in this place, and they'd been abandoned and abused and dumped in this facility. And it was a government-run program, and uh, I don't know quite how the missionaries got that invitation, but in they went. It was uh, December time, and uh, they decided that uh, one of the things they would do was tell the story of Christmas. They didn't know whether these kids had ever heard the story, but they started to tell them. They did a bit like Steph did with the kids this morning. They did it in a very practical way. So they told them the story, and uh, they uh, gave them uh, different uh, little bits of cardboard and things to make a crude manger, and they gave them little bits of cloth to cut up, yellow cloth, to, to cut up and make into straw. And then they had, the, remember the fuzzy felt? Remember fuzzy felt? They had fuzzy felt little uh, babies to put in the manger uh, to be the baby Jesus. And uh, throughout the story and the children getting involved with the craft and everything, the staff as well were listening in and they had translators and everything. And everything seemed to go fine and Everything was okay until one of the missionaries sat down at a table to help a little boy called Misha, six years of age. He'd finished his manger, and uh, when the missionary looked into the manger, he noticed two little babies in the manger. So he thought, well, blinking at and something's gone wrong, yeah? So um, called for a translator to come over, asked Misha, why, why is there two babies in the, in the manger? Crossing his arms, you know, as only a child can do. Looking at his completed manger scene, he started to go through the story. And considering it was the first time this kid had probably heard the story, he was very, very good at articulating it. Everything was going absolutely fine. And uh, he went off script. As soon as Mary put the baby Jesus in the manger, he made up his own ending. He said this. When Mary laid the baby in the manger, Jesus looked at me and asked me if I had a place to stay. I told him I have no mama and I have no papa, so I don't have any place to stay. 
Then Jesus told me I could stay with him. But I told him I couldn't, because I don't have a gift to give him like everybody else did. But I wanted to stay with Jesus so much, so I thought about what I had, and maybe I could use it for a gift. I thought maybe if I offered to keep him warm, that would be a good gift. So I asked Jesus, if I keep you warm, will that be a good enough gift? And Jesus told me, if you keep me warm, son, that'll be fine. So I got into the manger, and Jesus looked at me, and he told me I could stay with him forever. The little orphan had found someone who would never abandon nor abuse him, somebody who would stay with him forever. For all the broken people that you and I know, they need to hear that. They need to hear that today. Because that's the message, isn't it? There is a king of the universe who will love and stay with us every single day of our lives. Even when things get bad, and get messy. He's not going to abandon us going to kick you out. Your life might not be squeaky clean. You may have skeletons in the cupboard, but I'm telling you now, he's king. And he's here. And he longs to be with you. Jesus is king for our day. But the other thing to remember is this, Jesus is king forever. When Sarah and I first started courting, and in our early years of marriage, she felt it right to only educate me in some of the finer things. So I'd never tried a curry. I only had roast dinners. I was introduced to curry. I'd never had a proper napkin made of material, only a serviette made of paper. Napkins. My mother thought I married above my station. She really did. And one of the things Sarah introduced me to was music that was not Pink Floyd. <laughs> Unbelievable. And some of these boys are quite good. There's, there's a cool dude called George Frederick Handel. He, he's quite a, quite a good guy. He wrote a piece of music. You might have heard of it. It's called The Messiah. Have you ever heard that? You've never heard it, Enid. <laughs> You need to get a hold of it. It's available on album. It's a double album. It's wonderful. And we went along to see the Messiah at the Winter Gardens. Do you remember that? Well, and there was this man there singing the part a woman usually sings. He had a very high-pitched voice. How he got there, I'm not quite sure. But he walked funny. That's all I'll say. What's he called? What do you call him? Something like that. It was a, a more severe word than that that Sarah used, but there we go. Well, it was amazing, <coughs> listening to this going on. And you know, they got to the hallelujah chorus, and everybody stood up. Wow, that threw me. But you know, during the singing of Messiah, you get this bit which goes, King of kings, and, ever, and Lord of lords. Yeah, come on, come on. We won't do it now. Scratch Messiah. We could do that, Mariah, couldn't we? Wow. I can, I can feel it now. The hairs on the back of my head. 
King of kings and Lord of lords. And it goes on and on and on. As good as any start to shine on your crazy diamond. It was absolutely amazing, Wayne. And it just carried on and on and on. And you were just caught up in this thing about hearing of Jesus as the King and the Lord. And that's the point. He got it bang on. Nothing will ever change the fact. Someday you and I will no longer walk this earth. Someday this earth will no longer exist. Everything that we know that we depend on and count as permanent will be no more. But Jesus will still be on the throne. He will still be king. He had a beginning on earth in the manger. Uh, he had an end on earth with the crucifixion and the resurrection and the ascension back to the Father. But he was king of kings and lord of lords. Long before Christmas ever happened, long before Easter ever took place, and he will never cease to be king. All right. This king of kings, this creator of all there is, wants to be lord over your life and my life. To be the one in charge of all there is about who I am. He is king forever and he loves you and he loves me and everyone who is brought into this world. And the wise man brought gold, gold for a king who would be king and who is still king. And I want to say to you at the start of this new year, would you come and follow the king with me? Would you come and follow the king with me? Because this year is about us showing our allegiance to the king and about doing his duty and about following him and being awestruck again by him who is king of kings and lord of lords and who wants to take us forward into his awesome future. Let's bow our heads. God, I want to praise you for Jesus the King. I want to bless you that he is King of kings and Lord of lords forever and ever. He is without equal. And we come at the start of this new year and we say, King Jesus, come. Rule and reign over this, your church. King Jesus, come. Rule and reign over Pastor Tim and me as the pastors you have placed here. Come and rule and reign over us as deacons. Come and rule and reign over all of us who hold positions of responsibility. Come and rule and reign over us as a congregation of your people. King Jesus, we have no other but you. And we worship you, we honour you, and we adore you, our King. You know, maybe you've never trusted Jesus to be your King, never pledged allegiance to him. It would be quite wrong of me not to give you that opportunity this morning. What a wonderful start to the new year that could be for you. If here today you would surrender yourself to the rule and the reign of King Jesus. You may not understand it all, but there might be something going on in your heart and mind right now that you need to respond to. So I want to invite you at the end of the service, come find me, come and have a chat with me.
these things are too precious to just let them go. These things are too important to just sail through life with no regard. He is king. He is Lord. And he loves you.